0: We do greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are grateful to be in God's house this morning and to be able to share his word with you. I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 25. We do give honor to Pastor Rob today in his absence and You guys know that Pastor Rob represents you guys very well. He fights for you guys every single day, making sure that we are holding to the standards that have been established and sticking to God's word. We're just so excited to, to think about all the great things that have happened in the academy. Our enrollment has grown so much over the last two years. We're looking forward to having our seventh graduating class. We're looking forward to next year as we add more AP classes, Looking forward to the building being complete, looking forward to finally getting the gym floor done or refinished or whatever the thing is when they come in and set it up. Looking forward to that happening, having a new music room and a new art room, and just having such an opportunity to pour into the lives of so many more students and to all those that are already here. It's going to be an exciting time. We look forward to opportunities with our basketball games this year. We were able to partner with other ministries of the church to get the word out about what they're doing, and to raise things that will be able to help those who are in need. It's an amazing thing, and so we're grateful for the vision and for the opportunity to be able to flourish in it. Acts chapter 8, verse twenty, beginning in verse 25, reading from the King James Version. And they, when they had testified, and preached the word of the Lord, returning to Jerusalem... And preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandeth thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In this humiliation, his (coughs) judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way. But Philip found him at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This morning I want to talk to you from the from the title, Suring Up the Generations. Suring up the generations. It is amazing what our English language does and how words are put together. For the the 40 years of my life, and maybe 37 that I've been able to talk, I always thought you sure up something. You S-U-R-E up something. That's the only thing that makes sense. That's how you fortify, that's how you support. And then Google told me I was wrong. It's S H O R E. That's the proper way to say if you're going to shore something to support it. If we think about when you're, you're building a house, we bought a house last year and it come. you know, there are a whole lot of things that you have to do. And one of the things I notice when I sit in my office that's in the unfinished basement, everybody else has a nice part. I get the unfinished basement until I can afford to finish it, so that's where I sit. So as I sit there at my desk and I look up into the wall, I notice that there are two are beams that come together. And the beams come together and they're nailed together. So the idea is that nothing's gonna be able to move those two beams. But somebody who's been building houses long enough knows that things happen to your house. The foundation could slip. One board could be too heavy from the other one. So they put these brackets in there to sure up the boards. So no matter what comes, what if shaking happens or anything pressing down, they put those brackets in there to shore up the beams of the house so they don't fall down. If you think about the game of football, every quarterback has an offensive line. Some are better than others. Some let people through. Some protect them well. But they have an offensive line whose only job is to protect the quarterback, keep the quarterback alive. So they find these strong guys to stand there and whoever's coming through, they're blocking, they're pushing, they're doing everything because they don't want the quarterback to get sacked. Or if we think about all the layers of security that are at our banks to protect our money, they go to extra lengths to sure up, to make sure that when we deposit our money that we'll be able to get it back. Beloved, I come today to, to challenge you and to remind you that it is our responsibility as Christians to sure up the lives of one another. For to sure up anything is to be intentional about how you're going to support it and have some expectations about how you're going to live that out. If we think about our children and people who don't know the Lord, the fact of the matter is that if we have accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, it is our responsibility to show Christ to them. It is our responsibility to model God's Word in their presence, and we must be intentional about it. We want our children We want our grandchildren, we want our great-grandchildren, we want our neighbors down the street, we want the young lady who serves us coffee, we want the doctor, we want the car salesman, all to give their lives to Jesus, to give their lives to the Lord. But we must be intentional about how we protect others from the threats of the world. That means thinking about how we respond to the things that are taking place. For the greatest threat remains sin and our flesh. But we must protect them from living in this world and facing ideas of this idea of secular humanism. And it's a fancy word that just said you're guided by how you feel. You do what you feel like doing. If it feels right, you do it, and that's great. But what we must teach one another is that we must be guided by the word of God. We must be guided by the truth. We must protect individuals from the the ideologies that the world brings and remind them that it is the Word of God that ought to be guiding and leading them in their lives. We do that because we must protect them from a world that says it's okay to change your pronouns so that they know that God is the only one who determines pronouns and he makes no mistakes. We must protect them from a purely test-driven society and help them understand that life is about giving glory to God and living to fulfill the purpose that he has created us for. We must protect them from a materialistic, unrealistic lifestyle and help them to be able to differentiate between what's essential and what's describing it. I could stand here all day and tell you about so many other things. But what is essential is that they see Christ in you and that we are prepared to help them when we see that they're in need. And this here brings us to our text. Here in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke demonstrates the freedom of the gospel throughout throughout the world, crossing uh, religious barriers and racial barriers and (laughs) other natural barriers. He works here in the book of Acts to show the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of others and how the gospel is taken through the world. This great book, which is to be, it's more descriptive than it is prescriptive. It describes the work of the Holy Spirit and the advance of the gospel. Here we see Philip and the other apostles, and they have surrendered their lives to doing the work of the ministry. Philip is preaching wherever the Lord leads him to go. He's preaching in <coughs> in Samaria. The people are responding to the gospel, as you can read in the first part of chapter 8. People are turning from their sins. They're, they're trying to hear what's going on. They're receiving Christ as their personal Savior. Peter is Philip here is preaching his heart out. The text even says that they were rejoicing in the city. The people were excited about Jesus. But here as we look at our text, let us consider several fundamentals that are necessary for Christians to direct others to Christ. The first fundamental is that we all have to be prepared to take the gospel to everybody. Looking there at verses 25 and 26. In verse 25, they have testified and they preach the word of the Lord and the the apostles are on their way. And then the angel of the Lord leads Philip and tells him to get up and go south from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here he is in Jerusalem, and he's sharing the gospel in this place, and people are receptive. Jerusalem is a nice place, and it tells him to go 60 miles down the road to Gaza. That was desert. Wasn't a whole lot going on. <coughs> there weren't a whole lot of people there. His situation was a little bit different. But, beloved, I tell you this morning, we have to be prepared to take the gospel to The world. Then how do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves? We don't know what's coming next. We must be rooted in the Word. That means we study our Word. We see what the Word tells us about how to treat one another. We see what the Word tells us about how to judge the character of other people. We make sure that we work through ourselves and and learn how to act in moments when we're angry. We learn how to act in moments when we're celebrating because recognize that somebody's always watching. If the way you celebrate is by putting other people down, somebody's watching. And so when they start celebrate, they're going to celebrate by putting other people down. If all of our conversations are about lifting ourselves up, Other people are watching. And so when people are in need, you may not be the person they come to. But I come to remind us this morning, we ought to be the people that they're coming to. We ought to be the people that they're looking to, to pray for them, to give them an encouraging word, to help them understand why they're facing what they're facing and who it is that they can lean on to help them during that time. Here, as the angel of the Lord came to Philip, Philip was obedient to his calling. And we must all be obedient to our calling to share the gospel with others. The second fundamental is that we ought to be prepared to meet people where they are. Be prepared to meet people where they are. Here in verse 27, we meet this man of Ethiopia. And in biblical times, that would be the land of Nubia. and, And here he is. The text says that he was a eunuch of great authority under under Candace. Candace was not a a title that was given, but it referred to the queen mother. And so the work that the queen mother was doing back in the land, he was in charge of the treasury. And it was his responsibility to take care of it. So here he is riding in his chariot. And we know that he wasn't driving the chariot, so he had to have a driver. And here he is with the driver, and they're on their way. So here this man is from (coughs) Ethiopia. He's got some, some different ideas. So we must... Here at Triad Baptist Christian Academy, what we do is we embrace students where they are. We pray that the Holy Spirit will transform them so they can excel in their lives. And here we see we must embrace the place of people where they are. Here this eunuch is, he's been placed, and he's come to Jerusalem, and he wants to worship. He went to worship. But what do we know? It says he was a eunuch. During that time, eunuchs weren't allowed to go into worship. He traveled all the way from Ethiopia to be there on the high day, to be there on the day of the festival because he wanted to worship with everybody else. He couldn't go in the temple. They wouldn't let him in. He couldn't sing holy, holy, holy with everybody else. He couldn't tell them about the goodness of Jesus. He couldn't talk with the priest to get some counsel. He couldn't go to worship. But here he was sitting in the chariot. Waiting, sitting in the chariot. We met him where he was. We must understand that in this life, nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. We have to learn to understand and try to understand people where they are. And when we understand where they are, then we can try to help direct them to where they're supposed to be. But here's the kicker we're not perfect either. So the way we communicate to other people to tell them about how good God is, we've got to make sure they understand every day hadn't been Sunday. Like St. Hughes wrote a poem where he talked about mother to son, where it talks about how life is filled with tax and boards torn up. And, and that's just life. We all face trials. But the difference between the saved and the unsaved is we got somebody to go to. We can call on Jesus and we trust that he is going to guide us and <coughs> that we've got to communicate and we've got to be willing to help people to unpack their laundry. So we think about this Ethiopian eunuch. Here this man is. So clearly he was going to the temple because he wanted to worship. So we had some knowledge of what was happening. So most scholars believe that he was, uh, some, had been introduced to some form of Judaism, and, and that's how he was worshiping. And, and, and so when we see that, we recognize that his life view or his worldview is a little bit different. So he doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah. So we got to take him where he is, help him to unpack that and understand his belief versus where it should be and help him figure out how he sees the world. And something else we can learn here in this passage from Philip is that when the angel of the Lord told him to go, he went. So within ourselves, we've got to learn to act when we feel burdened. So if we see an individual who's struggling and we feel burdened to help them, then we ought to help them. We have advice that we want to give and we we feel like we should, then we ought to be willing to do that to help them through and then in verse 30, he says, and Philip ran thither to him and, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So he was close enough to hear him reading the word. <coughs> and this idea is to almost to be stuck like loose. So he comes up and he gets near the chariot and he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah and immediately he says, do you understand what you're reading? We've got to be willing to humble ourselves to help people to understand what they're reading, to understand what they're looking for, to understand what they're in need of. The third fundamental here is that we have to be prepared to demonstrate our faith. Be prepared to demonstrate our faith from verses 31 through 35. So when Philip comes upon him, And he asks the question, and Philip begins to minister to him, to pour into him. He does that because of his faith with the Lord. So when we have our faith with God, and, and it's strong, and it's been strengthened, we want others to hear the good news of Jesus, to receive him into their lives, to allow him to guide each and every decision that they make, in their lives and they are consumed by the word of god they're feasting on it it's growing them <coughs> we've got to be able to demonstrate that to others and how can we help someone else understand the word unless we know the word ourselves and verse 32 the place of the scripture in which he read he was led as a sleep to sh- slaughter so he's reading this passage from isaiah chapter 53, and he's helping him to understand what's happening in that passage. And so we've got to be willing to help individuals learn to shape the truth, guide them to truth. If we think about in the context of the, the Christian day school, it's our responsibility to sort of function with the three-legged stool. It's the church, it's the home, and then it's the school. So home It's supposed to be teaching about the goodness of Jesus and how we guide our lives and the importance of discipline and how to respect one another, how to clean up after yourself, all those things, learning how to guide as God would have you. Because the truth of the matter is that in every home, it is the parent's responsibility to teach their children. It is the parent's responsibility to guide their children, right? So then, You've got church, and church is teaching the Word of God, building on it in hopes that you'll add that to your life, in hopes that uh, parents will give that to their children. So the church is teaching about the goodness of Jesus. Home is teaching about the goodness of Jesus. And then here in the Christian school, we're talking about the goodness of Jesus, right? And so they're all working together. But what happens when one leg isn't quite as long as the other one and it's tipping over? What happens when one leg is broken? What happens when the school is doing its job and the church is doing its job, but the home isn't doing its job? Or if the home is doing its job and then somehow the school misses something, the stool cannot stand on its own. So what does that require? That requires that... The church is doing its part in teaching about Jesus and providing ministries that are going to help them and making sure that what is teaching is age appropriate. The school's got to make sure of the same thing. We make sure that all of our teachers are teaching from a biblical worldview. We make sure that they can look at the world and what's happening through the lens of scripture that they are teaching God's story each and every day, teaching it in math, teaching it in PE, teaching it in history, teaching it in English, teaching it everywhere, teaching it in lunch, teaching it walking down the hallway, because we want to pour God's love all on them. And then home works the same way. And so home has to be pouring those things into them. We've got to help our children know that we're not perfect. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we get upset. Sometimes we don't say the right thing. I've got a six-year-old who is very literal. So when I ask him to do something, I have to be specific. I can't just say, buddy, go pick up the remote. Where? What do you want me to do? I have to say, take three steps that way, turn around, pick up that remote. It frustrated me. Because for somebody who can operate every device in the house, Somebody who has a vocabulary better than mine didn't make sense to me where I can't just say, buddy, go to the refrigerator and get the baby's bottle, and he does it. There are two refrigerators. He doesn't ask which one he goes to the one that is not in there. And he comes back and has a fit, and and we're upset. But my wife reminds me that we have to calm down, and we have to say, buddy, it's in the brown refrigerator, and he'll get it and do what he needs to do. Beloved, that's what has to happen in our lives. There are people who are around us watching us. So when we're frustrated, we've got to learn to manage that frustration. Right? I remind our teachers every day when you walk in the building, it's a brand new day. I don't care how frustrated you are, I don't care what happened at home, it's leave it. When you walk through that door and those kids come in, good morning, Dr. Patrick is here. What are we going to learn today? And we do it because they see us. We do it because the examples that we set for them can change their lives. And God called us to do it. We're not trying to operate in our own flesh. God called us to do it. And whatever it is that was happening at home, I guarantee you, only been living 40 years, but I guarantee you, God will work it out if you put it in His hands and trust Him with it. The fifth fundamental is that we ought to be prepared to help change an individual's worldview. There at verse 36. So as they went on their way and came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hither me to be baptized? So here, as Philip is sharing with him, we see that the eunuch was listening to what he had to say. The eunuch was taking in What he had to say. But the eunuch didn't quite understand everything and he wanted some clarity. So he says, What water's right there? What do I have to do to be baptized? And and I suggest to you today that that's what we've got to be willing to do (coughs) for individuals. The word believe in the New Testament is the word, it means to think it to be true. to to hide it in your heart. So if he received it and took it into himself, now he wants to know what's the next step. I submit to you that for each of us, that's our responsibility to help individuals figure out what the next step is. He understood Judaism and the way things were going, but he saw that something was missing, and what was missing was Jesus, What was missing was a Savior. What was missing that he no longer had to go to the priest and confess his sins, but he could talk directly to Jesus. All that was missing, and now (coughs) his mind was changing. Now he was beginning to see things a little bit differently. The eunuch wanted to have access to what Philip was talking about. The fifth fundamental is that we must be prepared to help change a person's eternal destination. Help change a person's eternal destination. So Philip says to him, if thou believest with all your heart, thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So this is is where the good news happens in the text. He embraced the eunuch. He allowed the Holy Spirit to transform him, and based on verse 37, This man, this eunuch who was not allowed to enter the temple to worship, this eunuch who was prevented from joining in with the others at the festival of worship, this eunuch who had heard about Jesus now has accepted Jesus as his Savior. He declares, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Y'all, the eunuch got saved, the eunuch surrendered his life to the Lord. And just as the hymnologist wrote, he says, He is saved by his power divine, saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet, and his joy is complete. He is saved, saved, saved. And when we help people to see Jesus as he is, not going to hell anymore, now they can be on the path toward heaven. And we ought to want that for everybody we meet. And the sixth and final fundamental, (coughs) is that we ought to be prepared to help a person win the world. Notice there in verse 39, there isn't a whole lot of focus here on on Philip. There isn't really a whole lot of focus on what Philip has done, because the truth of the matter is that this text is not about Philip. This text is about the Holy Spirit and how he worked in the lives of individuals. And so when they came up out of the water— the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way to rejoicing. And verse 45 says, 40 says, but Philip was found at Exhaustus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So Philip helped the eunuch The Holy Spirit did the rest of the work. Now he's saved and he can take the word back to wherever he's going. He can take the word back to Ethiopia. He can take the word back to Nubia. He can share all along his travels of what the Lord has done in his life. We must understand that each of us is a vessel that is to be opened to be used by the Lord. It's our responsibility to train others how to live by the word of God. And we must be prepared to help others Excel. We not only care about these fundamentals at Triad Baptist Christian Academy, not only fundamentals of Triad Baptist Church, but these are the fundamentals for Christians all around the world, and every one of us has a place in it. Because the truth of the matter is, as great as the Patrick name is, what I want my kids to carry on is faith in Jesus Christ. The most important thing that they could have is faith in him. And I want them to see how I live that and pass that on to their children. For God is the God of generations. For I understand that there are challenges that individuals face, things we face that we have never faced before. But I submit to you today that I want my children to know Jesus for themselves. I want your children, your grandchildren, your cousins, your your auntie and all of them to know Jesus for themselves. And I know that hymns are a popular force today, but they are a popular force that guide my life. You often hear me singing a hymn or humming a hymn, but I want my children to know that when they're at the tipping point and somebody who's got on their last nerve, I want them to know why they can hear me singing. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing. It's worth It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name I know. I want them to know that when chaos is all around me, the reason I have peace is because, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, and washed in His blood. For this is my story and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And when they wonder why I'm not excited about the latest iPhone or the latest this phone or the latest that piece of technology, I want them to know as the hymnologist wrote, some folks worship money and the luxury it brings. Some folks live for glory to hear their praises sing. But I live for Jesus, and to him I cling. For Jesus is my everything. And when they want to know why well, I press on when I can barely get out of bed, why well, I got to go when my voice is shot, when I got to move when my body is hurt, is hurting, I want them to know that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And I simply leave you with this this morning. Every one of us, every single person in this room is responsible for Christian education because if we have Christ, We got to share it with others. And how we share it matters. God bless.